0: Hello, yes, and welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Uh, we got kind of a special treat for you today, a bonus episode, something special. Uh, you guys remember Jared from a couple weeks ago? Uh, he uh, pitched this interview to me, and we're, 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 we're very excited about it. And uh, Jamie Hamilton from These Football Times is here uh, to, to, to talk a little bit about analytics and uh, its place in the game and any other subjects that come up. So I'm going to pitch this one and, and throw it to Jared and Jamie. And uh, we will, uh, of course, be back with the regularly scheduled one later this week. But uh, let's, uh, enjoy this bonus episode. Thanks, Ian. Uh, welcome, Jamie. Why don't you say hello to everyone out there? Uh, hi there. Uh, thanks for the invitation, Jared. I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, great to have you. So, at American Soccer Analysis, we are we are in the weeds of the data. We're building analytical models. We're drilling for insights, especially in MLS. So, I think it's good from time to time to step back and take stock of the big picture and where trends are happening in this in the global sport. Specifically, we want to examine with you the role of analytics and seeking objectivity in the sport and try to glean insight on where it's headed Um, and of course it never hurts to get an international perspective so you are a barman a football coach and a writer Uh, you've also done some some youtube videos and i'm a very big fan of your work Uh, and let me let me explain why let yeah, me introduce be yeah, you yeah, and then. I'd
1: be, I'd be interested <laughs> Yeah, hear yeah. that. Yeah, so
0: I'll, I'll pitch your work and then you can uh, tell me where I'm wrong. Okay. So, you know, my, my point of view of your work is that you try to apply big picture concepts from outside of soccer. And you apply, try to apply them to the world of soccer. So you come from a philosophical point of view. You're seeking uh, objective truths about soccer, citing objective football theory. You're looking at the role of aesthetics in the game. You're looking at the notions of good and evil you're looking at democracy in the sport. Uh, you're looking at the psychology of the sport and the fact that humans play the sport and what influence that has and how we should approach teaching the game. Uh, but at the heart of everything you're doing, you're trying to understand better about how to make a winning soccer team. Is that a fair representation of your themes?
1: Yeah, um, well, yeah, it sounds kind of lofty put <laughs> it like that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm searching for objective truth. I think I'm searching for truth. Yeah, I, that's one thing I would say. Um, we can talk. about, I'm sure we'll get into that at some point uh, during the conversation. But yeah, yeah. no, I'm just I'm I'm very interested in 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 football, right? And 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 how it is, I think a cultural phenomenon, um, unprecedented in terms of games that human beings have invented. Um, I think, I mean, I don't, again, have any empirical data on this, but it seems that it is one of, if not the most popular game ever invented, which is quite something. So it's interesting to maybe try and investigate as to why that might be. So that's, that's, I suppose, broadly speaking, the, the, where I come from, uh, when I'm, yeah, when I'm writing or talking about football. Yeah.
0: Cool. So I think that, um, I'll start with what I would refer to as your sort of maybe central thesis. You might dispute that. But you wrote an article a while ago called The Philosophy of Football, A Complete Perspective. And for anybody who hasn't read it, I recommend you grab your favorite drink, Google that, and uh, enjoy the long read. Uh, But I'll summarize, I think, one of your points, I think, to kick off the conversation. I think a summary is required. That's a very long-winded
1: thing, that. Yes. Summary is good.
0: (laughs) It's it's rather long-winded. But in it – you, you actually quote uh, Chris Anderson and David Sally's book called The Numbers Game, in which they make the case that soccer matches come down to a 50% chance on a game-by-game basis. And you argue that given that, coaches and players should be really obsessed with maximizing their chance with the remaining half, but also understanding at the same time that no matter what you do, 50% is given over to chance in any particular game. So while you're not an analytics man per se, not a self-proclaimed analytics man. You're, you're definitely interested in the notion of uh, how analytics can kind of help seek out the truth. Um, and that's particularly why I wanted to have you on. And so it, it, as I think through the kind of the trends that are going on in the world um, and how they relate to soccer, you know, right now we're in the middle of an artificial intelligence hype train. Automobiles are soon going to drive themselves. Uh, everyone views that as an imp- improvement for mankind. Or flying. Uh, we live in a wor- <laughs> yeah, yeah, We live in a world yeah. where science and discovery of what is is regarded as critical. Um, and But when you look at sports, it seems to be less of a trend to kind of fall into the AI trap. Although in other sports, you're seeing that revolutions are occurring. There was just an article. I live outside of Philadelphia. There's an article about the Philadelphia 76ers who – have an analytical staff of 10 people Uh, so in certain sports we are seeing that analytics and trying to come up with insights about the game with numbers is is trending but in soccer i would say uh, you could you could have a glass full point of view here or a glass empty point of view that that we're a little bit more in a nation stage of understanding uh, the truth about soccer and what makes a good soccer team so why do you think that is do you have any thoughts on kind of why we are where we are in soccer.
1: As in implying that we're somewhere sort of not as far on as we should be, something like that in terms of analytics? Is that the – I think so. and it, that's yeah. your view? And, yeah.
0: And in your, and in your, um, in your post on, the, on philosophy, you spoke about how uh, soccer is the most open-ended game with the most hmm. choices. Available yeah. to any individual player, which yeah. I think, which I think is why some of this is happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think it's a very football seems to be a very complex game. Um, it's difficult to say if it's the most complex. Again, I don't want to make these absolutist claims, but it seems very complex. I think that's fair. Uh, more complex than other games um, because of the nature of it. It's a free flowing game. This stuff, you know, people talk about this, you know, fairly frequently. Um, what i would say is the, the the piece you're actually referring to i can't remember was that i think that might have been a couple of years ago i wrote that i think um and i would say that i certainly have changed my view somewhat from then um which i think's well i think that's a good thing i think it's good to change your mind <laughs> because otherwise you don't and that's bad um i think a lot of the time um so yeah i think i was when i was writing that i was very interested yeah the number you mentioned the numbers game and finding out just exactly what might be objective about football. And that is certainly something I'm still interested in. Um, but it seems to me the more I look at it, that or think about it, is that while there is an objective nature to football that is clear and, and, and very useful to understand, there is, well, I think that the more substantial part is perhaps not objective. Um, so it's a case for me. I see the objective elements of footballers' tools to use at one's discretion, um, to try to win the game, and I don't think that uh, objective and uh, information, objective, if you want to call it data, should always or or even at all really govern how you approach. Uh, putting your team on the field i mean, it's up to the coach in my view uh, to to decide themselves and yes use that use the the objective uh, information absolutely but it shouldn't be an all uh, an all uh, high authority and i think the same you mentioned ai and things like that i think the same in, in real in well, out, the world outside football is science is great because it you know we can speak to each other now and you know my my lights work and everything's great in, in that sense, but it doesn't uh, govern uh, behavior. Right? It doesn't tell you what you should do. Um, it shows what th- the relationship between things are and how we can understand the natural world, and that's great, but it stops for short of being able to uh, dictate uh, one's actions. So I think if that makes uh, some sense, as some kind of opening statement.
0: It does. I'm... I'm curious how – if we if we believe we can – and I know you wrote a post on this about kind of uh, people people viewing players as robotic. Um, but uh, I'm curious how we can think in one regard that we can model the whole world, that we could automate the whole world. Um, but in the world of soccer, we seem less convinced that this is so. I understand there's a human well, element and there's well, I don't think you can model character. the whole world. I think that's a mistake. Well, so, yeah. I, I guess, I guess, but uh, I, I hear you. Yeah. I'm just saying that I'm just saying that there is a push towards this notion of science will ultimately be able to explain everything. It certainly, is a push. So, yeah. so should yeah. we? So should we? But obviously, you don't agree with that. You believe that there's a subjective layer beyond the objective layer that's equally as important to understanding the game. I guess the question I would have is: Do you think? that analytics can drive even further towards that objective truth, accepting that truth lies beyond what we can objectively measure. Um, Do you think the gate, why is there still some pushback towards that level of objectivity coming into the game?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's very useful, uh, Jared. I think it's great, and I think it can. There's, who knows how far, how detailed the analytics can get, and how useful the the the, 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 the information can be? Um, yeah, it's it's great uh, if it's used in. If it, the context is always important here, isn't it? I mean, things taken out of context, and which is what science does, right? It takes things out of context, puts them in laboratory conditions to try and establish the nature of those things, objects. Under those conditions, and you know that's essentially what it is. Um, football has always played in context, um, a, a complete, a seemingly infinitely complex context, with fluid, moving uh, uh, parts to it. So there's always going to be an element of of, of 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 taking it out of that context. So having said that, there are certainly uh, metrics. Uh, that we can measure, that can help guide our understanding of what might be a good thing to try to do if you want to win football matches. But, you know, just because you have 65% possession, that doesn't mean you're going to win. And you can play without the ball if you want. Um, Just as an example, if you want to use possession as a metric, the the key, I suppose, and again, I'm not an analyst, it seems to me if I was looking for 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 things to measure, it would be I'd be trying to find the strongest causality between the 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 win and the and the sort the of thing that I'm measuring, right? I, I want to I want to be as sure as I can that the thing I'm measuring actually helps the team win, um, which isn't always obvious, I don't think in football.
0: No, it's definitely not. I mean, I think if you take a you know first of all, context is absolutely critical. We talk about all the time. Uh, you know, behind the scenes at American Soccer Analysis when we're critiquing other people's ideas. Um, and and you're right. The goal is ultimately to provide insight that traditional numbers, perhaps, or simpler numbers don't uh, really help with. So possession, I think we know now is virtually irrelevant to, you know, whether or not someone's played a good game or not, uh, because there's tactics behind that decision. Uh, If it tells you anything, it tells you more how the game was played than what the result should be. Uh, But something like expected goals, which is making uh, a little bit more headway in the public consciousness, is an attempt to really get at uh, a little bit more who had the better chances, uh, perhaps who was a little unlucky. So sort of getting at that notion of the percent of the game that comes down to chance. Uh, And I think that's why XG started to resonate with the public consciousness is they get a they get a grasp on it but xg has been around for xg's been around for over half a decade and it's just now getting uh kind of groundswell uh, if you will and i would say minor groundswell in the sport um what, what's your take on expected goals uh, um, and how yeah. it can help the game i think it's i think it's
1: interesting um it's good to, it's interesting to see uh, we, we, so you see the uh, maybe you didn't watch the game and you've seen the, the the result come through, but you can click on you know one of these expected goals um, you know feeds and you can get get the get the get the figure and you know if, if if it's three to one but they lost one you know one nil or something then you can say well okay it looks like they were some poor finishing there um, and then well what's the reason for the poor finishing well who knows. Uh, you can, I suppose, you can, you can make some, uh, you know, you know, uh, claims based just on the number without having seen the game. You could say the, the the players are underperforming in front of goal, and yeah, perhaps they were. So if then if it keeps repeating itself over a season and the team is really far behind in their expected goals, um, then yeah, you have some. You have seem to be able to deduce that you are making chances but not finishing them. So okay. That's that can be useful to know, I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's I think it's interesting, I' don't th- yeah that, that's what I would say about it, I think
0: it's interesting it gives yeah, so I could give the coach a little bit more insight into how the players are actually playing versus um, yeah you, know, uh, well, you know, how they performed in that particular game
2: uh,
1: yeah, well it's it's it, correct me if I'm wrong, please but, um, it tell it seems to say whether or not. Yeah, you're converting your
0: chances that you have created, something like that. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. Or, or just basically the it basically gets at the quality of the chances that you had, and then you okay. can well, compare yeah. that to what you actually finished.
1: Yeah, um, which is which is useful. Beautiful. Yeah, um, which is fine. Um, I think you can. So if you're on the if you're a coach, if you're the coach of a team, and you're you know standing on the touchline, I think you can also see that. Um, and okay yeah, it's useful to then check your you know observation against uh, a more objective figure objective in inverted uh, in quotations obviously because it's not a perfect model um by any means i think again correct me if i'm wrong it doesn't take into account positions of defenders is that right at the moment
0: uh it does yeah. it it does not there are some okay. there are some methods you can to 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 layer that in but mm-hmm. they're generally not but, th- but that's an example right, of,
1: say- of saying how it's, again, it's out of context, it doesn't take into account, which I, that seems to me is a rather large uh, 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 thing that it is not taking uh, account of. Um, but again, it, it seems like it's a useful way of, uh, of assessing its chance creation and ability to finish the chances. Um, so, and yes, if you have a, a, a player or, or players that are consistently over time replicated over a large sample size, falling behind on the uh, expected goals then you might uh, that can tell you something um although i'm not sure if it would tell you something that you wouldn't be able to see anyway in that sense um but uh, yeah i, I I think, and you know, I, I I understand they're on match of the day now in in, in in the UK. Um, that was quite a big move for them, I suppose, to to put on this. Uh, maybe Sky Sports as well. I, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it seems to be the the sort of a, a breakthrough metric, let's say, for the analytics community or something like that. Um, but yeah, and a lot of people seem confused by it, but that's okay as well because you know, it, it, it it's not the be all and end all, you know, it's, you know, it's it's just another way of measuring something in the game. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, am I missing something, the, pra- the practicality of it, or how, how, how would it be? Re- how is it recommended that it's used? Uh, would you say from the analytics community?
0: Yeah. Well, I kind of want to touch on a thing you said there, um, about it being sort of confused by, by folks. And I think that's one of the bigger issues. If you look at, say, objective football theory or the way uh, tactical writers approach the game with their language, uh, and then the way that analysts promote their work within the community, it can be very difficult to project the overall intent of what they're trying to say, or it can be lost in, I think, the language that kind of uh, envelops objective football theory or is used in the analytical community makes it difficult for – People who are not analytical or not tacticians to really understand what the person is saying. Do you see that as an issue as well?
1: Yeah, I think that's the, well. That's one of just the fundamental issues of being human. I think communicating. This is whether it's, but certainly, yeah, certainly when you're talking, when you're trying to relay or convey information from, let's say, a more technical uh, domain into a more practical domain, maybe let's say something like that, then yeah i think it's very important that people see and un, understand the practical use of this m- metric tool that is being suggested because otherwise it is just it's just numbers right is is it's, it's such, why why is this important you know what what how is this going to help me in understanding the game being a fan of the game coaching the game playing the game what what is what use is this um, and this is the the, the pragmatic element that, I, that I'm 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 keen on. I, I think th- things should be useful um, in, in relation to the goal that we're trying to achieve, which in football is to win. So if you if if the metric doesn't help me understand how to win, or I or I don't understand how it might help me, then I think that it's important that when um, analysts are um, are trying to 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 say hey you know this is a really cool thing this can really help then yes the explanation is all important to put it in language that i think um you know the football community the wider football footballer community are able to understand easily I i don't think that there should be an expectation for the wider football that's a very general term i know but just you know, fans, players, followers of football. I don't think that there should be a huge expectation on on, on everyone to suddenly become experts in, you know, um, statistics. I, I, just, I don't see that as particularly
0: practical. I think that's I think why that's it's why taken five years, I think, to get into the, mm-hmm. to the mainstream media. Now, you know, now it appears on sort of a Fox uh, infographic, right, during a game in the U.S., yeah. and I think that's good and that's bad because in one case obviously the fans of analytics who understand expected goals are excited that it's kind of getting on television but at the same time i think it's creating confusion and maybe even some anger towards the more traditional crew who doesn't understand kind of what that means so it's it's presented without necessarily the context or the meaning of what you're supposed to take yeah. away from this.
1: Yeah. So if you're, so if you're a coach, what is the, the use of expected goal? I mean, have I, have I summed it up fairly, do you think, or am I missing a, a,
0: yeah, a so chunk I of it? I guess I would, and I'm going to, I, I, yeah. I hope I do the analytical community justice with this, but the, the um, how I would, the, the main benefit for me is it is a estimator of the, the true quality of the chances that a team is creating and the, the benefit of having that information is that you might a team might be playing better or worse than they appear to be playing uh, as a result of that. So if you were to take expected goals over say five games, uh, they might have scored five goals, uh, but they should have scored eight according to the expected goals metric. Um, what we see, uh, what, what's been shown, um, Granted, in probably smaller blogging areas than the mainstream, but what we've seen is that the fact that gap is is more predictive of future performance than other metrics that we use. So, so, so the five goals is less of a predictive uh, element for future success than the eight goals that the expected goals is telling you about. So you can expect a team to perform better than they have been based on the expected goals. So if you're a coach, and in fact Jim Curtin, the Philadelphia Union coach just quoted expected goals in a press conference because the union are underperforming their expected goals and he's trying to suggest to the fan base that they should be perf- they will be performing better in the future they're actually performing better than it looks
1: yeah so it's uh, like an, so an, anom- per- an, anom- an anomalous you know run of bad finishing something like that
0: right right yeah. Yeah. unlucky the ball the ball didn't yeah. quite bounce off the turf as mm-hmm. as they would have wanted etc yeah
1: and um, yeah uh, I, I don't know. I think that's reasonable. I think you can use. Yeah, it, it seems like a reasonable thing to cite if you're going to say, yeah, well, I, I think we're pretty happy with the performance. Felt a little unlucky that we didn't win, but I, yeah, I, and it, yeah, it gives you this ob- uh, uh, objective, uh, uh, you know, uh, data to fall back on and, and buttress your argument. So yeah, I think it's it's reasonable um, and. Yeah, as long as people are understanding you properly, that's the, again this is the thing. If 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 you're the coach and you want to speak to the press and your fans, um, you run the risk. I think when you talk, not to say you shouldn't, but that this would be the flip side. Obviously, you'd have to weigh up. Should I mention expected goals, for example? Because um, some people or a large community part of the 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 followers might say, well, what the hell is he talking about? Why is he talking about these numbers? You know, we care about. Wins, etc., because maybe they don't have a full understanding of it. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a, there's a, yeah, it's, it, I think it's, yeah, it can be a fine, no problem, and if it, if someone wants to 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 use it to justify one of their um, observations about the game, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, my my takeaway or my philosophy in all this is that the writer or the analyst should really uh, not be writing for other analysts. Sometimes we fall into that trap because it's easy. Um, but if to the extent that we can create information or context or the pragmatic outcome of the analysis we're doing and make it accessible to the fans. So, you know, you know we can talk about logistic regressions or m- machine learning algorithms or fancy things to ourselves, but that's, that's only going to push the fans away, I think, or the majority of fans away. And if we really want our ideas to get out there, we need to think through how we can simply communicate the benefit of what we're doing.
1: Right, and and is there and for example, for something like expected goals, is there something like the, is there a, 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 a the what what is the relationship between you say it's, it's better performance, right, predictive of, of 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 more goals over in the future, or there's a correlation somewhere with something?
0: Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It is proven to be more predictive than traditional metrics, uh, yeah. in terms of future performance.
1: Yeah. A future performance judged on on victor, on victories.
0: Yeah. Yeah, or if you're just assessing goal scored, it would just be on goal scored. But right, in, in general, you can do both defense and offense with expected goals. So you can you can put the whole picture yeah, together. You can
1: put the whole thing together and get some kind of um, you could get the relationship between it. Over, right. you'd have to do a lot, obviously a large sample size as well, right? Because otherwise, yeah, um, yeah, I th- yeah, I
0: think you need between five and eight games to to get something okay. predictive. Okay. Um yeah, no, that, yeah, that seems that seems seems reasonable. Um, yeah. I,
1: I, I, what, do you think that is the, the most useful metric at the moment? And that's why it's crossed over into the mainstream, let's say.
0: Yeah, I think it's obviously taken a while, but I think um, it seems to be resonating with, I think, the, the casual fan a little bit more. Yeah, It's starting to work itself into the mainstream, I think. Um, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure why that one it's it's it's. It's, it's simple in a way in that it's just applying the probability of a goal being scored to the shot, yeah. and people can get their heads around that pretty quickly. Yeah. I think uh, what's, what's, what's happening more deeply in the sport is really looking at possessions and sequences and yeah. analyzing which, which possessions are, are most effective. And this is where the, kind of the current uh, mode of thinking is, but I think that'll take yeah. a while to, and, and to so present what, that to the that mainstream
1: most passing motifs and things like this and and and, and what what are we look at we're looking at areas where attacks start or build-ups are made something like that or
0: exactly where yeah. teams tend where where teams tendencies are as far as building possession up the field yeah uh, the effectiveness of those possessions so is a team yeah. playing playing long balls or are they passing wide yeah. with short passes how are they doing build-ups and and understanding which of those types of sequences or possessions are most effective for certain teams?
1: Yeah, for certain, because it can vary, I guess, because, you know, uh, some teams like to build up from the back and also coaches and some guys like to go, you know, direct and, you know, counter-press aggressively, get the second ball and go and sh- score from there. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, all, all, this thi- all these things are interesting. Um, I think it always just comes down to how... Useful they are, and and how strong the, the the correlation is with with victory, um. And I think that that's what makes people interested in things. If it's like, oh, hang on a minute, this really really helps in terms of winning games. I think it's also because we're talking about ex- expected goals there. There's also, uh, correct me for a moment, that there'll be there'll be rival XG models out there, right? Oh, uh, certainly, yeah. Right. Everyone's got their own, right? Right. So it's subjective in that sense.
0: Um. I guess it depends on your data set in a way. Yeah. I think I think, I think, think, statistical modeling is somewhat commoditized. There are certain yeah. decisions you can make about uh, what data you include or don't include in, yeah, in the model. And it depends on the but analyst or, or the, the individual. It depends on the analyst. Yeah. Um, and it also depends on your data set. So uh, yeah. with American soccer analysis, obviously our XG model is solely based on Major League Soccer and the yeah. history of Major League Soccer, right? So yeah. other other... Other areas are going to have other leagues that have different, different elements to it.
1: Yeah, I think that's just a useful thing maybe to note as well when we when we when we talk about objective information, is that it is, <laughs> if you want to get down to it, it's, it's one person's idea of what objective is because there are, and there are other people that argue with that person, um, and I guess the the most useful one is the one we'd hope that the most useful one that rises out of this, let's say, discussion is the one that has the strongest correlation with future victory. Something like that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think it's not to get too into the weeds, but we we also have an expected passing model, uh, which predicts the probability that a pass would be completed given, uh, you know, the distance, the direction, uh, the the, the player who is making the pass, etc. And you can make all sorts of decisions. Do I do I count the fact that that player is a forward, or do I just let the fact that that player is in this position on the field uh, dictate the dictate the decision? And and so so you might you might adding that forward information uh, might get, make the model more accurate, but it also uh, takes away your ability to sort of view forwards, midfielders, and defenders differently. Yeah, which uh, so not you, necessarily so a bad thing. thing. Yeah. No, exactly. So you, you might actually give up some model where I'm going with this is you might actually give up some model accuracy for the benefit of evaluating other things outside of the model. Uh, and, and so, so, so let's take a, like, let's take a spin away from, uh, analytics and, and look at, I think what you were talking to before, which is the subjectivity, the subjective elements of successful, uh, football and, and, you know, talking about um, what analytics really can't get to, or what it's very difficult for analytics to kind of analyze. And I have a quote from one of your posts, if oh, you God. don't mind me reading yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, 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 so I, it. Yeah, go for it. I thought you might want to cringe. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, it, you say, What of empathy? What of passion? What of understanding in, of the irrationality of the human condition? We know so little about the nature of our own consciousness that it seems bewildering to condemn a domain as infinitely complex as human psychology to that. Of the role of slave to scientific authority or worse to that of pseudoscience or dogma and what you're getting at there is that uh i think in that post is we we talk so much about tactics or objective football theory or xg or uh you know certain approaches but we have we seem to speak less about the emotional elements of the game or the the um the you know, when we talk about character or grit of a player, how is that actually defined or determined, or how does that how does that come about, and how can a coach tap into that? Yeah, is that fair? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think the more the more I've thought about, it, and this has come from, um, you know, I've not, I've not been coaching a long, five years. Um, so, by, but pre, prior to that, I have you know worked with people in pre, in, in, in other uh, domains, um, but. The more I think about it and the more I do it, the more it seems to become um, clear that there are, it seems to be to me that the, the, that's the most important, maybe not the right way to put it, uh, a deeply valuable um, uh, area is this idea of human relationships and what is it that would, might help a player play well. apart from a knowledge of objectivity um, and i think that that's something that if you work with players a lot then you'll see and be in the dressing room environment then there's a huge part of it that is to do with human emotion and human and focus and and being part of a team and having to, to become together under one goal um. You see it. I mean, if you if you watch if you go to, if you watch any football match, right? It's, it's it's quite a strange phenomena, really, what's going on. Um, you can see people with um, with flags and their faces painted and they're chanting in unison, and it's not just not normal behaviour. It's not necessarily rational behaviour, right? All this, all this kind of thing. Um, it seems football seems to to tap into something I'd say that that's fairly it seems primal in some sense. That's not, not 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 always measurable. Maybe it shouldn't be measurable. Um, by you know modern scientific um, methods it it seems to seems to invoke a, a, a passion let's say that that is difficult to articulate in any other language apart from this subjective language um which st- strikes me as being an indicator of then perhaps this is the way to
0: uh, an interesting area to look at um, at least yeah absolutely i, I you know sometimes you you watch your team play and then you, you, you look at Twitter afterwards to see what the reaction is and you see, oh, they didn't, they didn't care tonight or they didn't put out the full effort or they, they gave up after, the, after that goal. And that's a really fascinating kind of insight because we don't tend to think about, well, how do we measure that? Did that really happen? You know, if, I'm, a, I'm purely coming from an analytical point of view, but it would be really fascinating to know what makes a team sort of give up. And yeah, uh, is that is that real? Is that real? And is that is that uh, accurate?
1: What was the psychological impact of losing a goal? If you've made the mistake, I mean, what does it do to you? As as a human, you know, no one likes being you know the fall guy in front of millions of people. That's going to have an effect, and uh, can you measure it? I don't know. Maybe uh, in that context, in that moment, is it is it measurable? Um, You know, when you're talking to players, you're in, you know, training or dressing room. It's small things. I think it's body language. It's certain looks, glances that get thrown. Maybe someone didn't react in a way that you thought they would to equip you make. And maybe that tells you something. You're not sure what it is, but maybe it just piques your interest in some sense. And and these small things that are happening all the time, and everyone knows that because everyone has human relationships. And you know that whether it's your friends or your partner or whoever it is your boss your colleagues there's always atmosphere is caused by these interactions between human beings and and i think that in football these are extremely pronounced because it's, a, it's, a, it's an environment where the the players and the, the coaching staff and are are interacting all the time and it's complex um, and there's different maybe there's disagreements within the squad maybe there's There's certain characters don't like certain elements of what the coach is doing and it's not always well it doesn't seem to be obvious in any way that an implementation and knowledge of analytics is the answer to these kinds of issues and um, which I think seem to me to be the issues that one faces on a day-to-day basis when managing a, a group of people um, of course it's good to know about what the what the data says, but does that help guide how one would interact with another in the moment? Um, because it has, I think, a lot of it's, spont- it's spontaneous. Right? You get an intuition about certain things, um, and you know it's not obvious why maybe you want to have a group photo taken or something like that obvious why that might be but you just think it's a good idea you think it's gonna make some bond happen and this is language that obviously isn't very far from statistical or scientific language but I think it seems to be extremely important
0: yeah it it does seem to be not talked about enough I'll just leave it as a challenge to the analytical community to think through how there's opportunities to to think about
1: Sorry, yeah. can I ask you, do you think that's something that the, that the analytics community is concerned about or aware of, or is that something that's just not on the radar, or
0: what, what do you think? I mean, just my two cents is it's not on the radar. I don't think that, you know, here you're, all you get is anecdotal evidence about, well, the locker room is bad, or the lo- we have a great locker room and there's great character on the team. It's, it's all anecdotal, so it's hard to build anything, an analytical application out of that. But uh, I do think... You point out, as you point out, it's it's absolutely critical to the game, and people can see it on the field. You can observe a team that's given up. Um, yet, how do we how do we sort of if you're trying to maximize a player's motivation on the pitch and and how hard they're trying to win? Uh, what are the how do you how do you approach that from an either an analytical perspective or a coaching perspective? Is is a great challenge? Yeah,
1: yeah, I I think so, and I think it's I just think it's it's certainly worth. I think it's worth remembering. I think maybe, maybe there's some things that you can't measure, uh, uh, and I think that's what I was getting at, maybe in that that, that quote that you started this this uh, started off with there about you know empathy, passion, love, all this kind of thing. And it's yeah, can you can't really measure love, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> and and well, nor would I nor would I want anyone to, <laughs> you know, right, um, <laughs> right. Quite frankly, <clears throat> well,
0: let's. Let's shift to the to the fans then, because you also write about uh, and their kind of their humanness, if you will. Because you wrote about uh, aesthetics in football, and and I wonder what your your take is on the influence of fans' kind of desire for a certain type of football, even if that means that it maybe lessens the chance of their team winning. So, uh, w- you know, we have a team here uh, in the in MLS, Vancouver, who plays you know sort of. I guess the word is negatively or reactively uh, and the fans are kind of disappointed with the approach yet they're kind of in playoff position seemingly every year uh, with, with a lower payroll than average. Uh, And so, and so you've got, does that influence coaches that it, does that influence players? Do players want to play more aggressively and not play that way? And how does that influence, um, you know, how you think about the game?
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting area. I think this is really fascinating, especially just now because Guardiola's come to the UK and, and, and obviously with all that that brings. Um, and it's very interesting because, and I think that when I was talking about the aesthetics, I was asking what is good football? And and, and again, to me, football, good football is football that wins um, over time and, you know, is it, increases the probability, to use the language of stats, that... The, the team will win the games. Now, the way you do that, in my view, is, comp- is entirely subjective. It's entirely up to you. If you've, there are ideas, right? There are objective theories, which I think are very useful that can point us in the direction of things that seem to be good. Uh, you know, uh, Passing forward it seems to be a good thing rather than passing back if you can. Scoring a goal is a good thing. We can work back from there and derive certain actions which are good actions uh, as opposed to bad actions and that, that's fine um, but the way in which these actions come together in, in, with the way the style that the team plays um, I, I have to say I think, it's, I think it's fairly subjective it seems to me because someone like Guardia who's probably the canonical example of this type of you know, possession based building from the back style of play um, that's cool, no problem but then Diego Simeone doesn't do this kind of thing um, maybe Jurgen Klopp doesn't do that kind of thing um, and Klopp seemed to come out on top there on, in, in, in the Champions League he, he plays direct, he plays super fast counter-press, counter-attack football What's, I, think, I think it's something like I think the desire to see a certain type of play probably comes from you more than anything else from, from the individual that is, that is demanding such a style I think I think it's uh, I think that's that's the way I see it is if you like this uh, an elaborate yeah uh, call it elaborate elaborate maybe the wrong word if you like a, a, a slow build up then maybe that says something about about you maybe that's the way you like art maybe you like certain things that way maybe if you like it more direct if you like more aggressive play maybe that says something about your character um, so I think it's something to do with your own taste what kind of Football, you're like sure. If it loses all the time, then something's going wrong anyway. So that the regardless of the actual aesthetic of the performance, then you're not going to be happy if it's done badly, right? Is it just that's just not going to be impressive or good to watch in any way because it's not achieving the goal which we're setting out to do. Um, so yeah, I think the aesthetic thing is certainly as far as I can tell, it seems just to be a subjective choice just as one likes certain music and not others and certain films and not others and you can disagree with your friends on these kind of things. It doesn't seem to be a right or wrong answer on that.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. You, if your personality is to be counterculture, you might be a fan of teams uh, like Atletico Madrid or Burnley yeah. uh, because of the way they play, the way they kind of are resilient or defiant in the in the way they play the game, which we know is not going to be the most beautiful football, but, but, but it can be viewed that way. If, it could be. If That's the thing. That it, it, maybe Sean Dyche yeah.
1: absolutely loves this, right? And, he, and, and, and this is his, or Simeone, this is his idea of beauty because
0: again, beauty is not you know, measure it in any sense. It's, it's whatever you think it is, really. Yeah. I was at the, yeah. uh, I was at a birthday party this weekend with my, with my daughter and I was talking to one of the fathers and he was, he was originally from Spain uh, outside Madrid And I asked him what his favorite club was, and he said Atletico Madrid. And then we we chatted for a while. Uh, And then I eventually asked him, um, so do the Atletico fans, uh, are they disappointed in the style of play or are they happy with kind of Simeone's approach? And he looked at me almost astonished as if to suggest, how dare you think that we don't love the style of play of Atletico? They love it. Yeah. Uh, I think I I can see why. I think, yeah. Sure. Yeah.
1: It looks like it it struck
0: me. It struck me as the uh, you know certain fan bases. You know, you could Manchester United, for example, might bemoan how their their team is boring or whatever, finishing second in the league. But but someone like an Atletico that the fan base can absolutely appreciate uh, what that style has done for that for that club.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't draw too many comparisons between that sort the style of. Well, I would personally wouldn't between Simeone and Mourinho. I think they're very different. Um, I see, yeah, Simeone seems to be an incredibly just aggressive, passionate coach. You see him barking on the touchline, you know, and it's. I always chuckle a little bit sometimes, you know, when he. And I know that you know it's not a good idea to shout at you know when you're coaching young children and things like that. Don't don't quiet. Your coaches should be quiet and all that. I, I know it's not the same as when you're coaching in the League but I do find it it's quite amusing when Simeone is there going absolutely crazy on the touchline. And, and I think his players are. I think his players react to it. You know, I think there's an what, I think there's an energy there, and it's and it's it seems to be a, a real a real uh, a real moment. You know, when when he when he's coaching with the players in the game, and I think the fans feel it as well. I think Klopp's similar in that sense, they really have have this incredible ability to to channel uh, the the energy in the stadium. And I know that that this, again, maybe is not language that's that's, 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 that's used for for, 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 uh, analytics, but when I'm watching football or coaching football, I feel this energy, and I think it's a, a really interesting thing. And, of course, you don't have to do that at all. There's many other coaches that will just be very calm, very calm but get the team will play absolutely beautifully and be incredibly effective. So, yeah, it's very difficult to to, to, to judge. But I, I think it was I think again, it comes down to are you effective? I think is 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 the important thing. And if someone is effective but still doesn't like the style, okay, that's that's fine. You could you could make that argument, I suppose, on a purely aesthetic level. But I'm not sure too many of your the rest of the the, the people around your club would agree with you.
0: Yeah. So. So I would be remiss if I did not uh, ask, you know, your outsider's perspective on Major League Soccer. You're you're chatting with a uh, a blog that you know is I would call it obsessed with the the sport in the U.S. and and our league. Just curious, uh, what your take is from an outsider's view. You know, we've got Latan now and potentially Rooney. We've also got Italian star Sebastian Giovinco, and so you've got this mix of kind of post post peak players but also uh some exciting international players from their peak now joining uh, especially when you look at el maron and uh and barco in atlanta united so there's there's some a mix of youth and experience kind of coming into the league what's your take
1: yeah certainly an outsider's take i haven't watched a huge amount of of, of mls and um, so i can certainly see i can see again so please correct me if i'm wrong so again I, i'm not a, by no means uh, uh, well versed in mls but it seems to be getting more popular which is which seems to be a good thing um atmosphere seem to be building uh fans seem to be really engaging with uh football in a way that hasn't been the case in uh, america up until fairly recently it's been tried a few times before um but the the people seem to be getting excited about football and i think as a fan of football i think that's a fantastic thing and um, that's a really great thing um, in terms of the players yeah, yeah uh, i can see why uh you know players that are coming towards the end of their career in europe that have had glittering careers would like to go to america um and and and, and try something different and there's obviously a financial uh, incentive there um and also the lifestyle and imagine it's really very really nice um so yeah that's all fine the thing that really turns me off about mls is the structure right i i, I just i just don't like it uh, for a number of reasons I mean, it, it's not inclusive uh, this is a league this uh it's a privately owned company right right so I, mean, I know this is not a private company but the way they've structured their their league is they've made a barrier right to everyone else that's that's right i have read that correctly right that's right yeah 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 so you know that's just, to me this is not the point sp- <laughs> oh, you want to call it? the spirit of the game i mean the idea of in my view is that we should strive for equality of opportunity. And everyone should be afforded the same opportunity to achieve their potential. And I think if you put a barrier in place of that, then you know that's where your values lie. You, you want to control. You want something that's finite. that so You can have a, a total uh, authority over it. And you don't want um, some upstart coming along and upsetting the apple cart. But to me, that's what football—that's what football's about. If you want to start a club at a grassroots level, to dream of what it actually might become, to dream of that potential of, of you know, twenty years time, maybe challenging for the the top honours. And I think that's reflective of life as well. I think, you know, equality of opportunity is a laudable goal, and if you purposefully put a barrier in place of that, then it would indicate to me that. Well, control and finance and self-preservation are taking uh, precedence over
0: uh, the game. Let's say. I agree so with you I, that um, I, I agree with you that I believe that this is why you know the openness of the game. I believe is why it's the most popular sport in the world, as you talked about at the opening. I think the challenge, obviously, for MLS owners in the beginning is soccer is best case the fifth most popular sport in the world. And there had been there had been leagues uh, prior to MLS that had failed miserably because owners uh, overspent for players kind of had had dreamed the revenues would grow much bigger than they actually did and paid for players they really couldn't afford. And so I think when the the owners of MLS sat down to build a new league, they said it's really critical that we kind of uh, if, if we band together, we can limit those mistakes and at the same time gain leverage over players. To ensure that we you know keep the costs at a reasonable level, together we'll grow this game at a more consistent level and it maybe maybe it won't grow as quickly. maybe we'll sacrifice some of the upside, but what we're going to do is we're going to ensure we're going to stay in business year after year. So that that was the form, that was the rationale for the formation back in uh, 1996. and I think um, starting in 2008 uh, where they introduced designated players, uh, that allowed uh, individual owners to go above and beyond their budget, uh, and sort of started to loosen the purse strings, and that's when you started to see teams like an LA Galaxy uh, spend more than the the rest of the league because they could afford to, and uh, and I think even more so today, um, you've got owners spending you know significantly bigger than other owners, which is creating you know it, it's putting a strain on the parity, but it's also allowing. Uh, MLS to sign some of these exciting players so I think behind the scenes and I, and I you know I share I personally share your frustration I know other fans of MLS you know don't care as much um, but I think behind the scenes they are actively figuring out how to uh, create more a de- democracy at least within the league around who signs what players and what individual capabilities they're building to, to sustain Build a sustainable competitive advantage. Now, I think I think we're it's still obviously falling short. In your mind, is going to be well, open it up to the smaller and, clubs.
1: And also, I, you know, I don't know if it's obvious that everyone should be have the same power to buy players. Why should they? You know, if you win, if you're the best, then why can't you grow your club and you get a financial reward that comes with that? Um, and you, that that seems to be. That's the idea, right? It's, you know, you want to get to a high level as possible, and then you get the, I I don't know if a lot of people may not agree with this, but that seems to be the way it works. Um, and if you want to build a club, you want to try and win, um, and you want to be. You want to reap the rewards of that victory, and I think that's how the great European clubs did it. Um, okay, they, you might say now that they've become so elite and that, the, 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 you know, it's the competition is suffering. I don't know. I like watching the Champions League. I think it's pretty good. Um, I enjoy those Tuesday, Wednesday nights. Um, the best football I've ever seen, uh, you know, live on my TV. Um, so, yeah, that's, there's that. And, and, yeah, there's also, of course, the, you mentioned there that I think the quality suffers. I mean, if you're not fighting for it to stay up, if you're not fighting for promotion, then the intensity, again, I don't know if you can measure this, Um but it would seem obvious that if there's no, you know, finishing last just means oh well, oh well, well we'll get, you know, get to go again next year, chaps, no problem. Then where's the intensity there? Um, where's where's the passion? Something like that. So yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, is there if they is there been noises made that this is just a a, a a you know a stepping stone and it's going to be opened up and is that generally accepted as the way it's going to happen? Or?
0: I think I mean I think um, leadership of MLS has been. Uh, pretty guarded on this topic uh, and kind of shuts it down quickly. Why would I they do be, think, it?
1: do you think? I mean, if, well, if, if I think, they are going to do it, why would they be guarded about it?
0: Um, well, I think, well, certainly if they had a plan to do it, they would come out and say it. I, uh, it would I think, yeah. yeah, because they know that the fans, uh, I think, would like it. And uh, I think they don't feel that, uh, is my guess, this is me asserting, they, they don't quite feel they're on strong enough financial footing to open the league in some way. And they're not exactly sure how to structure it. If you think about it, you've got all these you've got all these owners owning one company. So, how do you relegate an owner who is a who owns shares of the company that you just left? So, so uh, you got your uh, fundamental so a fundamental problem
1: with the model, yeah. This is the thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. you well you, you you started the model for one reason to make sure you sustained. And now you come to this issue of, well, okay, we've sustained, but how do we how do we ease up on this model? and create um, opportunities for individual owners, as you say, how do we allow Atlanta United to be everything that Atlanta United can be based on their owner uh, while staying within the sort of financial structure that we originally built? So I think they're they're internally grappling with how to loosen the strings behind the scenes, if you will. And I think ultimately someday there will be some form of promotion relegation uh, but the, but the owners are going to have to stay owners of overall MLS somehow. That's the challenge. Hmm.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, so it seems a seems a difficult situation because, like you say, who's going to? The owners aren't. They wouldn't sign up for it, would they? They, they would just go against it and say, we Yeah, there's
0: really it. there's really there's not a ton of incentive for them unless they feel. I, I think they also feel that there's enough growth in the runway that they'll continue. They can continue this way and continue to build the talent. To continue to get the sport more popular they don't need this at some point i think they realize that to get that next phase of growth they're going to need to figure out how to allow other teams the opportunity to play with them I, th- um, I think
1: yeah and i think i don't know maybe this is completely speculative but why not and um, they uh, if they continue if they don't if they can then who's to say that another structure could rise and uh, and, and,
0: and challenge that one is that something? oh there's a th- yeah. there is definitely a faction uh yeah. here a vocal faction that is fully supportive of just building uh you know a full pyramid outside yeah. of mls
2: yeah
0: uh and i think and i think you know maybe the country can support that kind of infrastructure i don't uh, the yeah. sort of soccer growth if you will but yeah. it might take a little while but oh, yeah there's definitely a group of people that would love to see that
1: yeah um yeah so yeah that, that's that's that, that's sort of my take on it. I can't say too much about the football cuz I, I really haven't watched a, a huge amount of it. Um yeah you you guys enjoy it though right is it's, it's an enjoyable oh, ab- league. Yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I,
0: yeah there's there's enough tactical diversity uh and there's enough there's enough quality play and I think especially when you see a team like Atlanta United play the the New York Red Bulls or NYCFC those are those are really exciting matches there's good atmosphere and there's good Good quality.
1: Do the, do the Red
0: Bulls? Do they play
1: similar to Leipzig and Salzburg in that high-intensity pressing style, or is yeah, that they evident are, in there yet?
0: They sort of remind me of your your take on Klopp, which is the sort of high press and then very direct following the turnover. Less possession oriented.
1: Yeah, I just yeah, I always, I'm fascinated with Red Bull football at the moment. I think they seem to be doing it very in, an interesting thing. Um, seem to be able to have a model that they successfully put into different. Uh, cultures, different uh, um, different groups of players, which seems to be a difficult thing that a lot of a lot of organizations struggle with. So
0: I think, yeah,
1: I just, yeah I'm they, certainly interested
0: in that. Yeah, yeah, they had a good run uh, this year. They had two two teams make go pretty deep in the Europa League, and then the Red Bulls made it to the semifinals of the Concacaf Champions League. So they did pretty well. So. Um, just wrapping up here uh any projects you're currently working on you want to talk about or share uh,
1: um no nothing set in stone uh, i'm hopefully gonna pass my ufa license this summer if all goes well that'll be that'll be good
0: congratulations
1: uh, well no that's not speaking too soon <laughs> you know yes. anything can happen yeah, yeah, these of course. um uh, and hopefully getting back to um yeah uh coaching senior football uh next season um So, yeah, there's a couple of things that might come off. Hopefully they will. Um, But apart from that, yeah, just keeping, you know, um, hopefully write some more, um, uh, hopefully uh, speak to more interesting people and be uh, like yourselves and and have more conversations and, and, yeah, keep, uh, I suppose, trying to get a little, uh, as deep as we can into the, you know,
0: the endless mystery that, (laughs) that seems to be football. Great. So, given this is uh, a global conversation and we are weeks away from the World Cup, do you have any thoughts or favorites? Uh, well, no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Brazil looked pretty strong. I mean,
1: just the obvious, I suppose. You know, it's... It's very difficult to make any predictions of these kind of things. Um, I'll be interested, I suppose, generally just to see what the overriding stylistic themes are of it. Um, What are we going to see? I mean, because I think we've seen in the Champions League this year, we've seen some crazy scores. Um, We've seen some high-scoring football, a lot of some teams prepared to to defend higher up the pitch than they maybe have been previously. Um, maybe this idea of the, the, the risk of defending uh, higher is maybe actually lower than the risk of defending deeper, which could be an interesting shift. Um, whether or not that's going to go to national teams is a completely different issue, I suppose, because of the training time and all the rest of it um, and the relationships with the players. But I'm hoping, I think, for a, a, an aggressive tournament that's played with teams that want to I like the teams that defend high up the pitch. I think it's a good way um, uh, to to try and score as many goals as possible. So I suppose, yeah, I just, I, I hope that it's, uh, I think the weather will help that. It's not going to be too hot, I don't think. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm sure exactly, Russia's a big place, um, but uh, generally speaking, yeah, I'm hoping for a, a, an aggressive, uh, high-scoring, entertaining tournament, I think.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. point of view. I mean, if you're coming out of the Euro, obviously the two stories were Iceland and Portugal. Where, yeah. you know, defensive defensive football was kind of winning the day. But now if you look at I think the teams that are considered to have the best chance, you know, Spain, France, Germany, Brazil, yeah. none of those none of those teams would you suggest are going to sit back at all. And right. so the favorites are all uh more more proactive. I guess the question will be will, will one of those uh reactive or more defensive teams actually make another run like Portugal did, or will it be right. that, that top four group that kind of wins the day?
1: Yeah um and it's a tournament so maybe you need to play it differently at different stages of the tournament absolutely so all this kind of thing comes into it um but the
0: uh it'll be enter- i'm sure it'll be entertaining i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure it'll be a great watch i'm looking forward to it anyway yeah i am as well so how can uh folks find you jamie uh i suppose on twitter uh, mainly it's uh uh at sterling under slash j uh
1: jamie hamilton and i post anything that i write um goes up there and um i don't tweet a huge amount uh, as much as i used to i think that's been a conscious decision (laughs) um uh, yeah uh but i am certainly uh i like looking at the 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 feeds of people in the in the football community and yeah so um that's probably the best place
0: great well thank you so much jamie for taking the time to speak with american soccer Dallas. i really enjoyed uh speaking with you
1: Uh, Not at all. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for the the invitation. It was uh, really enjoyed. It it was great. Thank you.
0: If you're looking
2: like everybody else, but it's the same thing. Always the same dream, keeping him from moving. Saying, I don't want to do nothing but be in a rock. I don't want to do nothing but be in a rock band I don't want to do nothing at all I don't want to do nothing at all Then oh, the bills pour in And he fakes he'd like to swim But he still don't go anywhere Until he gets too deep They got him swimming in sleep Until he needs to breathe Something like some there so he pulls a job down at the landfill and he don't mind the working outside looking out the turnpike but the days go by and the fire inside tells him he'll never be right till the day that he